Friends, J.C. Sherbert here. Before we get started with J.C. and Morgan today, I want to tell you about Heritage Digital. It's an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. I know one of the biggest problems in business is, is when your tech doesn't work right. I've been fortunate to work with some great ones over my career. I'm always up and running for the most part. Uh, and Heritage Digital can perform that with you because otherwise it gets stressed out. Uh, you lose money. It impacts your production, that type of thing. There's nothing worse than slow internet these days. So give my friends at Heritage Digital a call, Matthew Odom, 843-664-8989, and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business and your day once and for all. They serve clients from South Carolina to California. It's a low-cost monthly fee, and you can sleep well at night knowing that Heritage Digital has you covered. Heritage Digital is a proud sponsor of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. And here we go. Got Heather Dennis today, the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Rock and roll. Podcast. Here's JC Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks Podcast. Happy Saturday, everyone. Uh, I am not dead. Uh, <laughs> I got a little choked up at the end of the last episode I recorded and then got off schedule a little bit this week for some uh, unexpected reasons. But um, I'm back. It's Saturday and uh, I really needed to get a podcast out. So I figured I'd do a Saturday special with you guys. Here we are. Two weeks away from the kickoff of the 2021 college football season and uh, lots to talk about, lots to discuss. This will be a pretty lengthy episode. We have a lot of mailbag questions and the double digits. We're going to empty the mailbag today, the iHelp Consulting Mailbag. I also want to thank Heritage Digital for being a sponsor of this uh, initial portion of the Inside the Gamecast podcast. You heard the ad at the top of the show. Please, 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 uh, if you have issues uh, with your network and your business, give Heritage Digital a call, my friend Matt Odom, uh, or get on their website, heritagedigital.com. It won't cost you a thing to get an estimate. Uh, and then, you know, they're kind of your one-stop shop uh, if you have slow internet and your IT guy or gal is uh, aloof. <laughs> I've been there before. Uh, and so certainly, certainly I encourage that. All right. So, News. <laughs> Lots of it coming out from Beamer's Carolina Calls, press conference, coordinators press conference, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, OCDC for the Gamecocks, a wealth of information for that. Um, you know, first deal is, you know, the scrimmage is tonight, 7 p.m. There's no media availability afterwards, so we're going to try to dig and see how things go, but uh, I'm going to tell you what I'm looking for first and foremost, you know, uh, I kind of backtracked on this, and now I'm like back on it uh, after hearing some things uh, from contacts. Uh, you know, I'm looking for the offense to respond. I, I think that in most normal preseasons, and again, last year at just about every school, it was anything but normal with COVID protocols and, you know, the extended preseason. And like I said before, last year in a lot of the scrimmages, uh, the offense led by Colin Hill, Ryan Helensky, whoever, went up and down the field on the defense, and we all saw that this was not a great offense last year uh, by any stretch, and the defense fell apart. So I think that if you're kind of looking for a return to normalcy and uh, what you can expect, 
you know, the, the defense being ahead of the offense in the first game was to be expected. Um, I know that uh, Tony Morrell, my partner on the big spur.com uh, had a report. It made it all the way to the Marcus Satterfield press conference. <laughs> my man, Phil Cornblut asked about the, the offense being bad in the first scrimmage. Satterfield confirmed it. He said, look, you know, that's one we don't want to remember. Uh, but that's why you scrimmage. And I'll tell you this, guys, you know, all the a lot of the scrimmages when Spurrier was at South Carolina was open. I was in South Carolina at the time in Columbia um, and got a chance to see them, uh, most of them. And, man, you know, you, you kind of wondered if they were going to cross the 50 during the season. Uh, and then the next one would be better and the next one would be better. And then Carolina would ultimately have a at least a formidable offense. <clears throat> during the season. And this was kind of back during the, you know, 07, 08, 09, you know, through 11 and 12 kind of years, but it, it's perfectly normal. I mean, it, you know, and there have been some stinkers, you know, I'm, I'm just pointing that out. Uh, certainly not disagreeing with Tony's assessment. Uh, I think that uh, when Tony Morrell reports something, it speaks for itself. You know, he's been in this market for almost 20 years now. Um, and uh, I'm not, disagreeing with him at all i'm just adding some color to it and saying well you know now i'm looking for the the offense to sort of get out there and respond uh on saturday and i kind of backed off of that just because i was like well you know they they still got two new quarterbacks and all that good stuff but i you know after kind of reassessing getting some information out of the practice sessions this week jason brown zeb noland and i those of you that i was calling him norland I, i apologize uh, I've heard from many, many of you on that. <laughs> Jeb Noland, uh, you know, has performed well. Colton uh, Gauthier, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I was mispronouncing that as well. And I think Shane Beamer did it too. Can't Shane Beamer call him Colton Gauthier? Uh, you know, they're performing well. I mean, you know, you get the sense, though, that if you had to handicap it, and, and this is heading into the scrimmage, I, I, I'm going to say right now, I expect Jason, if Luke Doty does not come back, and, and we'll talk about that in a sec, uh, I think Jason Brown will be the starter, uh, and I think Zeb will back him up. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. I can't rule out Zeb starting. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, you know, if if things kind of go south with Brown and they're not comfortable putting him out there and Zeb is running the offense, well, um then he could start. I'm not going to like put a lid on that just yet, but I'll tell you just based on what I've heard, in my opinion, it'll be Brown. And then you got Zeb back there who, you know, let's say things aren't going too well against Eastern Illinois. Uh, God forbid that happens. Um, You know, you can throw Zeb out there. Or East Carolina, even if if Doty does not get back, uh, you have a chance, you have a guy in the bullpen, you know, that's experienced, that's played in a football game within the last four months and, all that, you know, keep in mind, Jason Brown has played college football, but it was the, tw- it was two years ago, you know, since he's been on the field and, um, you, you know, you, that, that, that's, that's got to be taken into consideration. A lot of these guys, you know, last year, junior college, uh, FCS level guys didn't have seasons. So you, you got to kind of look at it like that, that, you know, Hey, if, if he goes out and struggles and shaking the rust off, you do have a guy in the bullpen, uh, and I think that's a positive, you know, right now until Luke Doty gets back. And, and like I said, I, I can't rule out him winning it, but I, I would call it unlikely. And, and I'm recording this 
oh, what about 1 o'clock p.m. on Saturday? So we got six hours till the scrimmage. Uh, so that information, <laughs> you know, may not be, uh, you know, it may have changed. So we got uh, we got that. But I, I think it's good to have competition, somebody to push Brown, that kind of thing. Uh, got some good news on EJ Jenkins. He returned to practice after listening to Marcus Satterfield and Clayton White talk about him. And based on everything from sources and everything else, I believe that uh, that's a positive thing for the offense this year. Uh, had some updates on some guys, too, in these press conferences. Uh, you, you know, and, and here's the thing. I mean, everybody with practice coverage and stuff, and I put something up on the Big Spur about it, and I've talked about it on the podcast. You know, practice coverage is based on, you know, us trying to, as analysts and insiders and all that, us trying to convey to you who's going to be doing the playing this year for the Gamecocks. Um you know, as we've all learned over the years, a guy that plays well in practice doesn't necessarily perform in the game. It's kind of a honestly, it's kind of a track crapshoot. You know, if you'd have told me, you know, asked me who was standing out two years ago at receiver in uh, fall camp, I'd have said Xavier Leggett. And he didn't really get on the field until late in the season. Caught a touchdown against Vandy that was nice. But, uh, you know, it's things like that. You know, you, you never – the point is you never know exactly how things are going to play out until the season starts. We'd be dumb to sit here and try to tell you. Um, you know, now Tony, with his report the other day, said he's adjusting his expectations and he he has the right to adjust them back. Um, and I think that's smart. And see, and that's more of a, a thing where you say, all right, well, you know, we're, we're going to apply what we know toward how they're going to do in the 12 games this season. And that's fine. That's a different subject. But, you know, when, when we say, hey, look, this guy – E.J. Jenkins, for example, uh, has been awesome in practice. Um, but still, you know, that doesn't necessarily say that, you know, when he gets out there uh, at a different level of football this time around than he's ever played, that, that he's going to be a magician, you know, and, and be great. Um, I think he could be good, and I think he could be great. I, I'm just not guaranteeing that because it's been practice. You know, practice is practice. Um you know, so so there's that about that. You know, like I said, I'm looking for the scrimmage tonight. Offense needs to have a resurgent game or scrimmage. Uh, you know, feel good about the defense and their, you know, preparation and uh, all that. After listening to Clayton White, I'm even more encouraged that they're going to be ready. Um, I think, you know, obviously, if you had to draw a circle around a position that you're worried about, uh, I think it's still safety. Uh, we've heard that for years <laughs> at South Carolina and, uh, you know, RJ Roderick, Jalen Foster, those look to be your ones with Jalen Dickerson and Tyrese Ross, the, the transfer from Washington state, probably backing those guys up, um, with some O'Donnell fortune and some guys like that in there. Uh, and you know, Tyrese Ross has been out, uh, he and Amari and Brown, both who, uh, if you're really into, you know, and, if you're really not a fan of the FCS or group of five transfers, um, which some people aren't, I don't think that's very, you know, intelligent to sit there and bash a player because he's coming from FCS or group of five, because there are good players at that level. Um, you know, I, but if you, if you prefer the guys from the power five, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, Ross came from Washington state, Amari and Brown came from Georgia tech. Both have been in COVID protocol. Um, so, and just recently got back, you know, Marcus Satterfield talked about Amari and said 
he'd just gotten back out there. He's fighting his way up. He's fast. He's polished. Uh, I, I still think, you know, that by the time all is said and done, he's going to make an impact at receiver. Uh, and then White mentioned uh, Tyrese Ross, who also had the same deal early. You know, that guy did play, uh, I think, 13 games for Washington State as a true freshman. That's a different ball game out there when you're playing defense and Mike Leach is your coach and, you know, it's kind of, hey, just go do what you can do and the offense is going to go up and on the field. But Washington State, uh, when Leach was there, they, they weren't as bad on defense as, say, Texas Tech was when he was there. Um, you know, and then look at Mississippi State last year. They're actually – that was the strength of their team was defense. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Ross. What I was told when they signed him was he's a depth guy, going to provide depth. Um, looking at his performance from Washington State, he's a guy that will come up and hit you. Uh, he's a tackler, and that's good. That's <laughs> a positive when you're talking about this position. Um, I also want to say, you know, Roderick and Foster starting is going to, like, sound like fingernails down a chalkboard to some of you guys. Um, you know, Roderick has been on some NFL draft boards this offseason. I thought that was interesting. Uh, and I know Roderick last year got sort of picked on. Uh, I think he lost total confidence as a player, and that's why he opted out uh, after the coaching change. But I'll tell you this, just from talking to sources and, and all that, from the beginning, this new staffs love the way he plays ball and the way he prepares and the way he comes to practice and works hard. Uh, you know, you, 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 you kind of think about it. And when a guy opts out like that – you know, you, you you sort of look at it like, well, he's probably not a team player. Um, and, and I think at the time, you know, it was an emotional decision uh, for him to do it. Um, but, you know, these are young people. Young people can change. And Roderick before last year was the quintessential team guy, and, and I think he's gone back to that. I also want to say, Will Muschamp said this over and over again when he was at South Carolina, we put a lot on our safeties over and over and over again. Um, and that's not the case with Clayton White's defense. You know, getting the calls and communicating is up to all three levels of the defense, D-line, linebacker, uh, safety. Uh, you know, and he mentioned that in his press conference this week. And I, and I think, you know, mentally, and I said this before, if you're back there and you don't, you aren't comfortable and it's not second nature with your assignments and plays, you're going to go a step slow. I mean, it's tough to play that way unless it's like second nature to you. And um, I think with this defense, uh, it, it clicks. You know, there's not as much there. It's not as complex from a execution standpoint. I think it's going to look on the field. You're probably going to sit there and say I'm full of it when you see this guy, these guys play. It's going to look on the field like it's extremely complex, you know, just looking at it. But but that, there's a difference between being complex to where your players, don't, you know, there's 15, you know, 40 different checks and stuff like that, and then, you know, a, a defense that looks complex. Uh, and I'll use uh, – you know, Bud Foster's defense at Virginia Tech, say what you want, it stood the test of time, um, you know, for a long time. I think toward the end maybe with some of these spread teams, it, you know, that system struggled a little bit. But it always looked like it was a lot more difficult to learn than it was. Um, and Charlie Strong's defense at South Carolina 20 years ago was sort of like that. I'll, I'll go ahead and throw in um, 
Tyrone Nix's defense was like that. You can go all the way back to Joe Lee Dunn. Um, and, and this defense is not exactly like those, but it's it's a similar type of high, you know, lots of hybrid type things that happen uh, in terms of different fronts and, you know, where guys are coming from and, and all that and the pressure situations and, and stuff like that. It's, 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 it's going to be interesting. You're, you're going to probably look at it and go, wow, this, this looks really complicated, but it's not. And the guys are learning it well. So you don't know with Roderick and Foster, you know, if they were thinking too much or whatnot. I, and Jalen Foster, look, man, I'm not going to sit here and he's a Burns kid. So it'll be easy for me to sit here and be biased to be like, Oh no, he's, he was super solid last year. Well, now he, he looked lost, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. But that said, you know, both staffs really liked him, you know, and, and that's the case with a lot of these guys that some of the fans don't really think can play. Uh, and there has to be a reason for that. So, and look, if, if Foster doesn't play well, they'll put somebody else in. Ross will take his job. Jalen Dickerson will go out there. I mean, it, you know, it, it's not, you know, if guys aren't performing, they're not going to stay out there um, unless that's just all they have. You know, in other words, if, if you have some injuries at safety and things like that, and that's all you got, that's all you got. You just live with it. That's football. But, um, you know, I, I, I will say safeties are a concern until they're not. And that means in-game performance, uh, probably not even after the first game, maybe not even after the second. You're going to have to kind of wait and see. Uh, but uh, Roderick and Foster look like they're the two guys. That, against Eastern Illinois, those are going to be the star. I'm going to do a projected depth chart for defense, which is going to be complicated. <laughs> but uh, I think right now Foster and um, Foster and Roderick are your guys. I think at the nickel, uh, Jamar Brown – is going to be the guy, and then Carlin's Platel and David Spalding are there too. And, and a lot of times that just may depend on what style of offense they're playing. Uh, your corners right now, um, I think Marcellus Dial has one of the positions dialed in. Uh, no pun intended. And <laughs> and then at the other one, uh, you know, Darius Rush is a guy they like. He's performed pretty well. Uh, so far, also Dominic Hill. I think it will probably be one of those two guys, uh, unless Cam Smith gets it back. Uh, and then Cam Smith probably will slide in there with Dial, and the other two will be back up. So, uh, good good press conference from the two coordinators. You know, I thought Marcus Satterfield's comments on the offensive line were really good uh, and telling. And, and I think that if you're the Gamecocks this year, you know, it's pop. And his comment was, these guys on the offensive line aren't used to like setting the tone for the offense. And, um, you know, Satterfield said they're going to need to this year. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. I mean, that group, you've got experience, you've got talent, you've got size and toughness. I mean, my goodness, the left side goes 342, 325. And then Eric Douglas is in the middle, who was a Remington Award candidate last season, thought he played as well as any offensive lineman the Gamecocks have. Jovan Gwynn is a brawler at right guard. Uh, and then you have Dylan Wanham, who's a freshman All-American. So, so you got some guys that have performed very highly uh, so far. You also got some guys that, you know, Jazz the Turnantine's kind of a, you know, a new a new face um, out there. Uh, he played some last year, played in the Auburn game, thought he played well, and then conditioning sort of got on him. So 
Uh, I thought that was a very positive thing. You know, Satterfield updated Luke Doty. The answer basically was, I don't know when he'll be back. Shane Beamer said it wouldn't shock him if he was back by the opener. Um, but, the, the, you know, the thing about that is they're not going to, you know, they're not going to throw Luke Doty out there unless he's 100% because you don't, like they said, you don't get a situation where he re-injures his foot and then it's a prolonged thing. Um, you know, so, I, you know, I, I'm still iffy uh, about him being able to start the opener, even though, you know, everybody has to be encouraged by what Beamer uh, had to say. Uh, thought Shane Beamer's first Carolina calls went well. I think it was refreshing in a lot of ways. Uh, you got, you know, because you've had Muschamp who, you know, and look, I liked Will Muschamp's football jargon talk, you know, because I'm kind of into that kind of thing. I, I dug it. I can understand why it's frustrating for fans. And then, you know, before that, Steve Spurriers really didn't want to be there. So <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Lou Holtz didn't want to be there either. But, um, you know, I thought the Beamer Carolina, first Beamer Carolina calls went really, really well. Uh, some news that came out um, generally for college football. Uh, if you want to, if you want to hear our take, mine and Mike Morgan's take on um, the alliance between the Pac-12, Big Ten, and ACC, uh, download the JC and Morgan. Listen to the JC and Morgan. I just dropped that. We recorded it earlier this week. We go through all that thing. Uh, what exactly does that all mean? Um, and that's the deal there. Uh, so, so on, that's on that note. The other note is some of the college football. Writers reported the NCAA's Competition Committee for Football is exploring uh, extending or expanding the scholarship numbers in recruiting because of the transfer portal. And and, and like I've said from the start, they, I figured they were going to do this because, you know, look, Tennessee may get put on probation for what happened under Jeremy Pruitt. They are not on probation right now, but essentially they – are dealing with a probation type of situation already because, you know, they've had 39 guys leave. And, um, you know, is that fair to them? Now, if they were on probation and, hey, you know, there you go. There's your punishment. But they're not, you know, not until the NCAA renders a verdict. That's how it is in this country. You're innocent until proven guilty in all things. Um, Although the court of public opinion will certainly try you and sentence you nowadays uh, on the number of things. But, um, you know, as far as, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the scholarship numbers per cycle you can sign, uh, I think there needs to be some relief. And, you know, South Carolina could use it too, you know, because there's some guys out there that I think the Gamecocks would love to have. And, you know, numbers become a factor. Uh, and what the proposals are, there's different proposals. There, there's a proposal just to go straight to 30. There's a proposal to say, okay, well, we're going to give you, depending on how many players you lost to the portal, we're going to give you X extra, but no more than Y. So the number I saw is seven. Uh, that's the most speculated part. Seven to 10, I think, is a good number for that. Uh, and it will enable you to sign more guys. And, and I'm all for that because with the portal nowadays and with, um, you know, the way college football has kind of been structured, I mean, your roster can get depleted in a hurry. And, and number two, 
if you limit it to 25, you're still, you know, with, with schools recruiting out of the portal, you're going to limit opportunity. And that's the most important thing to me is like, you know, I hate, and Nick Saban talks about this all the time. I hate that you uh, limit opportunity for players, you know, because uh, I, I think playing football is a positive thing. And, you know, if you want to go to a big school like South Carolina or Alabama or wherever, Clemson, wherever, you know, and, and, and you're, not, you're not able to do that simply because of numbers, you know, I think that's unfortunate or rules that are antiquated. And I, and I think the 25 rule is – I thought it was ridiculous to begin with because, you know, you already have a, a cap of 85 scholarships, right? And as long as you're under that going into the season or right at that, you know, I, I think you should be able to sign as many guys as you want, you know, because it's about opportunity. And so – when you look at look at it from that perspective, I, I never thought there was a need for 25, but the Big Ten, as we told you, as I've said all along, it's fake news. Uh, and this was actual fake news. You know, you had basically a fan, I think Ohio State fan, start a website called oversigning.com. Uh, and he used very, very simple math that was detached from reality to prove his point. Um you know, and it, it made it seem like the SEC programs were just cutting guys right and left. And if you really looked at it, it was very rare that a player got processed. Okay, so that's first and foremost. Um, and then secondly, every school in the country has implemented a four-year scholarship guarantee uh, as a result of some of those anecdotal instances. And so you, you've really, you know, warded against cutting guys with those rules so there's really no need for a 25 cap, especially when players can just go in the portal. It's completely unfair uh, to programs, first and foremost, and to players that, um, you know, would otherwise get an opportunity. I mean, you, you look, look at, you know, everybody wants to care about student athletes and talk about student athletes and, you know, how they're, you know, victims and all this and stuff like that, which I've never bought. Uh, I do think there needs to be some adjustments. Need to take care of them more and all that. It take care of them as much as possible. But you, you sort of look at it, and everybody's like, "Well, what about the guys?" Because you've decided to, you know, get on the. You know, and this is a lot of the national media guys. You know, they're the ones that push the portal thing, instant eligibility, transfer anywhere you want. Coaches, coaches could do it. Coaches can leave any time. You see, you care. Okay, fair enough. Well, you know, there's about a hundred, hundreds of guys in the portal right now that don't have a spot to go. So I hope you're happy. Because these guys, you know, uh, a lot of the guys that enter the portal, not all of them, but a, a chunk of them uh, can't survive the de-recruiting process. In other words, they're, um, you know, they're guys that uh, were really, really heavily recruited you know, and uh, they never quit loving that part of it, which is, you know, <laughs> and once once you sign and you're out of school, um, you know, it's about hard work and getting on the field. Coaches don't care what you're rated or how heavily they recruited you. I mean, they want you to reach your potential, and I don't care how, how highly rated you are, you have to work to reach that in this sport. You can't just roll the ball out and rely on your talent. Um, and so things don't go well, so they jump in the portal thinking – uh, and one of the quotes from the coaches in the article was thinking they're going to go to Alabama and uh, stores closed. <laughs> Alabama, Alabama, you know, they have very few spots uh, for transfers. Now they took Henry Toto, Toa Toa from, from Tennessee, but heck, that's 
one of the best linebackers in the country, probably the best linebacker in the country. So why not take it? You know, and like Nick Saban said, we'll just turn it into an advantage of it for us, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I, I think that, you know, the 25 scholarship limitation or 25 signing initial counters is what they call them. I, completely unfair, stupid, uh, should have probably adjusted it along with the portal, but nobody ever accused the NCAA of having a lot of uh, foresight. Uh, they kind of are reactionary, and and I think this is the right reaction to make. And I'm curious to see, you know, if they do expand it, you know, who else pops up on South Carolina's recruiting board that maybe they could go get. And, you know, the right now when you're kind of building, the more the better, you know, I think. So we'll see what happens there uh, with, uh, with the Gamecocks and, you know, recruiting across the board. I think one thing that I will say, because I've, I've noticed some people that, you know, I'm, posters on the message board or whatever. And and look, I use some of the stuff off the board sometimes to talk about it because that's kind of the pulse of the fan base. Um, and I've noticed some people think it's going to, uh, oh my gosh, if you expand this, it's going to help the Alabamas and Ohio States of the world, the Clemsons of the world or whatever, although Clemson has still not taken a transfer. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I really don't. I think this is uh, more about, your Tennessee situations uh, or whoever, you know, uh, teams can't roll out there with 59 guys on their roster, you know, because they're limited to 25, you know, there's not enough uh, quality walk-ons to really field a team. So, you know, that's, that's kind of my take on that is that, you know, as, and as long as it's, they limit it, you know, um, I think seven's good. I think 32 is a sweet spot for that because, you know, you, you may have had 10 guys go in the portal, but you can replace them with seven because some of those guys aren't, you know, they weren't going to play anyway. So anyway, that's all that. All right. So I told you that we have, uh, and again, scrimmage this evening coming up here in less than six hours. Uh, but I told you we got a bunch of mailbag questions and uh, it's the I help consulting mailbag. So if you're a business owner and you're, you're always looking to save time and money like myself, that's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. Whether you think you might be paying too much for credit card processing, internet insurance, or anything else, iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text my friend, Daniel Owens, Big Gamecock fan at iHelp, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting, how can I help you? So the iHelp Consulting mailbag, it's full. We got to empty it, and I'm going to. And uh, I love this part because this kind of brings you guys into the show. Uh, Basically, this podcast, as you've heard, if you listen to it, it's a one-man show. Um, have guests from time to time. I probably will have more guests from time to time, uh, but I'm very selective with that. And uh, it's just kind of, you know, like like on JC and Morgan, we have guests all the time. We didn't have a guest this episode, but we'll have one this week. Uh, I think um, I think I can go ahead and say it. Andre Ware will be joining us. We've had Barrett Jones. We've had Eric McLean. We've had Phil Steele. We've had Brad Nessler. Um, and that's a great format, you know, for us. But this one, you know, it's just about the Gamecocks. It, 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 it kind of is like all of us sitting around at a bar talking, 
now the mailbag, the I help consulting mailbag, you know, helps you guys have a voice while we're sitting there talking. <laughs> I'm not talking into a wind tunnel. Uh, so I enjoy it. I enjoy it immensely. Please keep it coming. There's two ways to get in the mailbag. The first way is to tag, or I'm sorry, tweet to our Twitter account uh, for the podcast, specifically at the Big Spur Pod. Please go follow that and follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. That's our social media channel. Or you can email our inbox, insidethegamecocks at gmail.com. And both, uh, we have a, a lot of lot of stuff. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to get to them right now. Okay, first one comes in from Taylor. Uh, maybe a first-time tweeter here. Uh, this comes off Twitter. I'll do Twitter, then the, the email. It says, JC, with the news of the student section being officially dubbed the cockpit, can you discuss the major branding identity issue Carolina's athletic department has struggled with? Seems that Beamer recognizes this and is spearheading it as part of his overall plan. Yeah, look, man, I'm going to say this. You know, I don't know that, you know, branding and identity, when you talk about that, you know, yes, South Carolina, if you talk about their uniforms and their presentation, you know, it, it, it's changed through the years. There, there's no question about it. Um, but I, I don't know that if you talk, the athletic department's struggled with this. Um, it can always be better. Uh, I think adding Justin King uh, to the video uh, department, social media department has been big because he's creative and, and, and they, they do a good volume of work. Um, as far as things like the cockpit goes, uh, you know, I, I think that's cool. You know, I, I think and, – and they're doing it across all sports, you know, basketball, baseball, football, um, you know, and, and I think that if you if you label the student section that um, and, you know, they show up every game, oh, there's the cockpit, you know, I, that, that's good. That's catchy and and it can happen and, and it's good to have the branding for the student section. Cause I, I think South Carolina students are really solid uh, in terms of uh, showing up, being loud, that kind of thing, you know, even through the struggles uh, of the must champ era and football and some, you know, I'm going to talk football only here for a second. They've shown up. I thought they were the student section in baseball this year with the, even with the limited crowds and social distancing for most of the season, but I thought they were big, you know, say what you want about, security and all that good stuff. That's a different topic, but I, I thought the students were really good there. Um, and, and certainly I, I think in basketball, men's basketball specifically, uh, this is going to help. You remember the Garnet Army? Uh, this was a uh, Darren Horn thing, and Darren Horn's first year was pretty successful. I, you know, they could have won a few more games, had a little tougher schedule. They could have gotten to the NCAA tournament. That was – Devin Downey and Zam Frederick and those guys, 21 and 10 was the final record with that. But, man, students showed up, Garnet Army, yeah. And and it dwindled over time uh, through the transition to Frank Martin, and then just nothing ever happened. But, uh, you know, Frank obviously on the on social media was very happy about this move. So was Shane Beamer, I think Mark Kingston, and the soccer coach, you know, Taylor Anon, I think is his name, or Tyler uh, Anyway, I'm tired of mispronouncing names. So just the soccer coach. Uh, we're really happy about it. Um, you know, it, 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 branding and identity is, uh, you know, 
a lot of it's related to winning and losing. And, you know, when you're losing, uh, it sucks. <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 it's tough to really brand and market well. Although I've seen some schools from time to time, maybe when they're not having great seasons of success, do a good branding thing. But um, I also think this, you know, the history of South Carolina sports, you look through the, the history of, you know, let's say football and men's basketball, you know, the successful moments have been, for the most part, not exclusively under, you know, coaches that had had a lot of success elsewhere, you know. Um, I think at this point, Frank Martin's the South Carolina coach. People, you know, kind of forget about what he did at Kansas State. And, you know, he's been – it's been a decade. But, you know, he was Kansas State's coach. He was really good. He comes to South Carolina and does it. Um, you know, I I don't think that the Final Four run was kind of a – it wasn't a cult of personality, you know. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, with Frank, you know, because you had some some players, particularly in-state players, Thornwell, Dozier, Mackey, uh, Felder, those guys, uh, and then Silva and Kotsar and uh, Dwayne Notice. Uh, you know, and this is all that was almost more about Sundarius Thornwell from a marketing standpoint. But you do have that. I mean, you know, women's basketball. There's there's you know that program's rolling right now, but they're obviously with Dawn Staley. That's a big name. Frank McGuire was a big name. Eddie Fogler, when he got hired, was a big name. Uh, in football, Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier uh, did a great job turning the program around. But man, you know what? Everybody talked about South Carolina football from '99 to '04. They talked about Lou Holtz, uh, and then from '05 to '15, they talked about Steve Spurrier and uh, a lot of great players too during those eras. But you know, Steve Spurrier, as a celebrity coach, Lou Holtz as a celebrity coach coming in, gave Carolina some extra bump, you know. Um, and you can go back to Paul Dietzel, uh, Jim Carlin to a certain extent, about the only football coach that's had success. And, you know, I think we tend to look back on those days and make them more than they are, the Black Magic days under Joe Morrison. There, there were three, three winning seasons in six. That's 50%. But that 84 team will never be forgotten. Uh, the 87 and 88 teams were awfully good. 87 was really good. Uh, and, and Joe Morrison, you know, he, when he came in, he, he came from New Mexico. So it wasn't like, you know, he had all this success at uh, a big-time school before he came in. Uh, and, and so football, that's really been the only time. I mean, they've tried Brad Scott. They've tried Sparky Woods. They've tried Will Muschamp. And it just hasn't worked. Now – uh, and I don't want – I've got a lot of questions, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close on this. South Carolina did take a hit from a branding standpoint and a relevance standpoint. And relevance also improves your branding, and relevance is equal to winning and whatever. Uh, from Spurrier to Muschamp. You know, Will Muschamp is a well-known guy, but he wasn't Steve Spurrier, you know. And, and I think that, you know – when you got you when you don't have that ability and they're like, oh, it's Spurrier. Let's let's talk about it. Um, you know, and then you don't win. And Muschamp won up until the last 27 games, but not not big. Uh, you know, I guess that you're gonna lose some, you know, sizzle, I, I guess. And I think one of the good things Shane Beamer's done since he's been here has been very, like you mentioned, uh, in tune with the branding. 
but he's also been forward facing and honest with the, you know, he's been out there. He puts himself out there on social media. He's not just talking ball or retweeting something. I mean, uh, you almost feel like, you know, Shane when when you follow him. Uh, And that's important, I think, for the Gamecocks. So, yeah, I'm in favor of the cockpit or whatever else they want to do. Uh, And so we'll see kind of what happens with that. Taylor, thank you for your tweet. Chris chimes in. Hey, JC, let's hope some receivers step up this year. What do you attribute the lack of quality wideouts the last few years for? Lazy evals, bad luck, not SEC level takes or other. Well, all of the above. I don't. I don't know about lazy evals. Probably wrong evals. Um, and I can say that because it's not necessarily about the guys they've signed. It's the guys they passed on, and you know, some in-state players who who went elsewhere who probably they could have gotten who they said no, and then. You go get guys. I mean, and, and to me, it, it, you know, I, I'm one of these guys that, you know, in recruiting, you know, because I follow it and I know it, I'm never going to trash like a low three-star guy that they take. I'm never going to say that's a bad take unless the kid just can't play. I mean, there was a linebacker a couple of years ago that, you know, Lorenzo Ward took and they didn't mean to. They ended up getting out of it. But, yeah, I was critical of that one because that guy, you know, you're like, wow. But – um most of the time, you know, you, you learn through following recruiting that any, anybody can work out and anybody can bust. You know, there are guys that are no-brainers that bust. There are guys that you kind of say, well, I don't know why they're taking this guy that end up turning out to be really good. Uh, it's, it's not a total crapshoot, but, you know, individually, it's intellectually dishonest to trash a kid when he commits just because you never know, Okay. Um, you know, when they took Brandon Wiles, for example, I was like, do they really need you know, great evaluation by Jay Grant? So, uh, you know, I, I want to, but if you want to get me critical of recruiting, uh, especially from a South Carolina perspective, let's don't, you know, pass on some in-state guys that go elsewhere and end up in the NFL or better or in a all conference or better. Uh, and, and that gets you going. Um, and I, I'll say this too. I don't know what the deal was. Uh, because he had multiple receivers coaches at both places. Some, you know, Brian McLennan and Joker Phillips, you'd think they were, you know, competent guys. But Will Muschamp left Florida with a bunch of receivers that were not all that fast and not up to Florida standards, and he left South Carolina the same way. Uh, I don't know where the the disconnect is and how much, you know, Will Muschamp himself had a, you know, evaluation, uh, was part of the evaluations or, or what. You know, I don't know what that was. But it's really hard to screw up receiver at Florida and South Carolina when you look at all the guys that have come through those schools. Yeah, that's difficult. And that's where I'll get critical of recruiting. If you pass on an in-state guy, uh, you know, and, and they go elsewhere and start shining. And, and it, you know, with, with Muschamp and those guys, McLennan, it wasn't just the in-state guys. They passed on, you know, Zay Flowers, whose coach and mentor was Arturo Freeman, Um he ends up going to Boston College and, uh, you know, one of their best players. Obviously, Carolina could have used him. He was from Fort Lauderdale, but, you know, that, that was it. It frustrated me a little bit that they did not look in South Florida a little bit heavy, heavier uh, for receivers. You know, Tra- Tavares Robbins had a lot of connections down there. He's in Miami now. I mean, not, not that he was recruiting receivers, but it frustrated me that they didn't kind of look there. Uh, and then some guys have just been hurt. I mean – Oh, Trey Smith, I mean, shoot, he's missed like three years. 
Um, Chad Terrell has never been healthy. I don't know if he'll ever, I mean, Ranricus Davis is still on the roster, never been healthy. Um, you know, so that that's the deal. And, you know, we'll see what happens with some of these guys. You know, you have to be encouraged by what you've heard about Jacarian and Joyner. Um, yeah, I've been skeptical about Josh Van to a certain extent, but Marcus Satterfield's comments this week lead me to believe he really has taken a step. We will see. Um, Amarian Brown is a new guy. He wasn't the old staff. Uh, you know, Ortre Smith, to, to be honest with you there. Uh, you know, Jalen Brooks. So, you know, there's hope. And they do have a lot of guys on scholarship at receiver, but uh, I don't think you need 14 to go play. Satterfield said six or seven. That's kind of the deal there. Um, so, yeah, really all of the above. I, I think that, uh, you know, we will see sort of how it all goes at that spot. You know, I'm not expecting world beaters, but, you know, when you talk about the passing game, I, I, you know, I, there's more than one way to skin a cat is the old saying. So there you go. Um, and thank you. All right. So Justin says you and your colleagues, Vic Spurg, does such a great job this off season. I haven't had any questions. So here's one I've never thought about. How do these freshman kids come in? with thousands of dollars worth of tattoos when they're barely old enough to get one. I'm not asking you to tell some secret that will get you in trouble. These guys have a great ink, but and lots of it, but they're 18 years old. Thanks for the coverage. The answer to that, Justin, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually got a tattoo for the first time in my life when I was in Myrtle beach. It's the Palmetto and Crescent, but uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to know. Um, so, you know, I'm, you're, you're asking me something that I don't, I don't, you know, I have no um, knowledge of, but uh, it's a good question. If, if, if anybody knows, send me an email inside the game at gmail.com about tattoos and young people. <laughs> That's just kind of out of my wheelhouse. Bullheaded, a frequent tweeter says, saw that South Carolina has two top 100 quarterbacks in the state for class of 2024 and Jaden Davis and Jaden Bradford. What are Carolina's chances? Plus, can we start a fund so they don't leave the state and go to IMG their junior year? Honestly, what is it with IMG and South Carolina kids with Jaleel Skinner, et cetera? Well, first and foremost on Jaleel Skinner, he's not very good. Um, and this, this feedback not only has come from Carolina, but it's come from a lot of the schools that are recruiting him too. Uh, including one in particular, uh, you know, he's a low, low floor, high ceiling guy. Um, well, it, would he have helped Greer win games? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, and, and so he left a lot of the guys that have left and gone to IMG too have had reasons for it. Um, don't know about Xavier Thomas and his exact reasons. Uh, I know that Capehart, the D tackle from Hartsville, went there, and he he needed to get his grades up, and it probably wasn't going to happen at Hartsville. Uh, and he goes on to Clemson. So, yeah, I don't know. Leaving the state, those two kids are from – well, Davis is from the Rock Hill, Fort Mill area, from the Fort Mill area. Bradford's a local kid from Chape, and I, I don't know. You know, I don't know that it's a given that they're going to leave. You never know. In general – what are Carolina's chances? I mean, they're in it for both of them. Um, but it's real early, and, and I don't necessarily – yeah, I, I thought it was a little unfortunate that 
2024 rankings even exist right now, just because you're talking about guys going into their sophomore year of high school. Um, so yeah, so who Davis is number one right now overall, number one in the country. That's probably not going to hold. If it does, great. But you know, now everybody's oh, it's number one player in the country. So you know, there's this unspoken pressure now that South Carolina needs to go get him. And you never know who may be better. Bradford may be better. I, I I don't know that you'd say that right now, but we got three more years, man. Um, so I'm in general not a fan. And, and if you notice, I didn't even comment much on it. I am not a fan of doing national football rankings right now. I just think it's impossible to do. Um, remember Dylan Moses? Played at Alabama, really good linebacker at Alabama, really good player. He was number one as like a running back linebacker as a freshman, and it ended up – I don't even think he ended up as a five-star. So, in this sport, I think I, – I, I understand the why from a business standpoint, an eyeball standpoint. You want to get your rankings out there. I just think it's an impossible task, you know. So, so that would be, that would be my uh, word on that one. All right, so that is all the tweets out of the iHelp Consulting mailbag. All right, iHelp Consulting mailbag rolls on with the email. Inside the game, guys, at gmail.com is that email. And first one comes in from Mark. With questions at wide receiver and the need for more explosive plays, any chance we see Bell use similar to how NC State used Jalen Samuels in 2014? State listed him as a tight end, but he made an H-back, running back, tight end, wide receiver. What type of speed and quickness does Bell have first? Um, answer your last question first. Really good. Uh, he's explosive. He's elusive. Really good with the ball in his hands. And a guy that and he's fearless. He, he brings it every play. You know, Satterfield in the press conference said he has a chance to be an elite playmaker. I agree with that. Uh, was impressed with his spring game. Um, is a guy that loves the game, loves football. Valdosta High School in Georgia. He's a Florida native. You know, there's a lot to love about Jaheen Bell. Um, you know, and a lot of people may not know that. If they watch the spring game, you can kind of figure that out. But uh, last year, you know, one reception didn't really – you know, they could have used him last year had he been healthy. Let's just put it that way. Uh, and, but I think you're right on the money with, with how they're going to use him. You know, this offense is not Eli Drinkwitz's offense. It's a different kind of deal. But, uh, you know, they they also seem to kind of put a premium on versatility and using guys in different ways. Um, so it, the offense may not look like NC State's or, for lack of a better point of comparison, Missouri's currently. Uh, but they're going to use Jaheim Bell a whole lot. And, you know, like the one of the reasons at receiver that I'm not as concerned – you know, because look, Jalen Brooks has had a big offseason. DeCarian Joyner's had a big offseason. Josh Van has had a big offseason. Amarian Brown's got experience. Archery Smith has, I mean, you know, you go on and on. There's reasons to think, hey, these guys may not be as terrible as everybody says, um, or some people say. I've never used the word terrible, just unproven, question mark, that kind of thing. But because of EJ Jenkins and Jaheim Bell, I, I'm not, you know, if Van and Joyner and Brooks and those guys aren't, you know, ideal. Uh, you know, Jenkins and Bell can be wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and I think that would be fine. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think Bell is a, uh, you know, a really good player. Uh, go watch the spring game uh, and some of his clips from that and his high school tape uh, if you want some more idea about his speed, quickness, that kind of thing. Thank you, Mark Mitchell. Hey, J.C. Hubball as well. Got a question regarding one of Carolina's targets for 2022, Jay Sean Barrow. I've been asked this for a while, but I see you, Hale, and Tony put in crystal balls for him last month. Personally, I thought it would be Penn State or Maryland, and honest – Never expected Carolina to be in the picture, with all that being said. How likely is it that he ends up at South Carolina? And if he does in the near future, how do you think it impacts the Gamecocks linebacker position group? Well, he's being recruited as an edge at Carolina, and I've talked to some of his high school coaches. And they think he's it's inevitable he grows in, and he's going to be about 260. Um, I think it's tempting when you watch him on film to say linebacker because he's a heck of a high school linebacker. Um, but – that's kind of where everybody's recruiting him. I, you know, I put in that crystal ball based on some intel, based on the fact he paid his own way for an unofficial. Uh, but honestly, you know, Carolina's got their shot. He's supposed to he's supposed to visit for the Kentucky game. Um, you know, we know that official visits can get changed around and all that good stuff. Uh, and, and I think we'll know more then. You know, I I, I put in that crystal ball, you know, based on intel and what was happening in the moment. Uh, I think Penn State and Maryland are right in it, too. There is some talk. He wants to stay close to home. Um, so the idea is to overcome that with a great relationship and a comfort level with the Carolina coaches uh, at the end of the day. So so that's that there. You know, I, the crystal ball predictions, uh, sometimes they'll mean a commitment is imminent, like it's right around the corner time-wise. Sometimes it's a long-term projection, and that's what that was. Thanks for your question, Mitchell. Barham's a big time guy. I mean, you know, if Carolina, if Carolina can get him, it's a heck of a recruiting win. Tristan says, does a good run game correlate to higher, higher red zone efficiency? Yes, it does. I think running game, when you can run it in when you get down there, it's a lot easier. Because in other words, you know, some of these teams that throw it all over the place, uh, they're good between the 20s. Uh, but when they get back, um, you know, inside and the field shrinks and all that, sometimes they struggle because they, you know, the field's shorter, it's easier to defend. Uh, and so if you can run it in, that's perfect. You know, and I, and I think, you know, South Carolina, if you think about it under Spurrier, Spurrier loved to throw it in from about the 2025, but when you had a good running game, Mark Slattimore, Mike Davis, Brandon Wilds, you know, that it was more efficient. There were less field goals because – you know, you can you can really surprise some guys. So, yeah, it does correlate to being better in the red zone uh, if you have a good running game. Isaiah, he says, hey, JC, in the last podcast, you talked about how many USC has so many safety commits. If it's not too much, can you project what position the secondary commits of the class of 2022 will play when they come to USC? I'm sure we're all aware that positions could change or they could play multiple positions while playing for the game guys. Yeah, uh, what uh, Clayton White said something interesting in the press conference. He said, you know, when they recruit, they're, you know, defensive backs, they're looking for position flexibility. Um, and that's going to make some of you kind of go ugh because of the must-champ era. But um, I think there's a big difference between having guys that can play either or uh, and – or guy, and guys that are just playing out of position, you know. 
In other words, Izzy McQuamu, you know, I, very noble to try to make him a corner. <laughs> um, but we see now, you know, that he's in the NFL, what his true position was. Um, you know, you, you don't really know what happened there. You know, moving guys around uh, when they didn't have depth, that's a function of, of, of it being more of an issue uh, than right now where they're saying, okay, this guy could be a corner, could be a safety. Uh, if you look at it, seven guys committed. Keenan Nelson, I think, is a safety. Anthony Rose could be either, but I'm leaning towards safety. Emory Floyd could be either. I'm leaning towards corner. Peyton Nickel could be a safety nickel. Javon, Javon David Clinton, I think, is a safety. Nick Emanuare is going to be like a big linebacker safety hybrid, so the nickel, you'd slot him in there. And then Kawan Banks could be a corner or a safety. Um, so defensive back-wise, you know, th- th- that's, that's how it kind of plays out. And if they expand the number of people you could take, then, um, you know, who knows who else may be in the class could get another. But I, I think that the worry about corner is way overblown because people are like, oh, God, they've taken all these safeties and, and not corners. Well, you got two in there out of the seven that could probably – or three, if you count banks, could probably project a corner if you needed them to. But people just forget about the guys on campus. I mean, I think it's one of the things that's sort of tough about uh, – star ratings and the expectations and the instant gratification world we live in uh, when it applies to college football is, you know, that people forget about players. I mean, people could have forgotten all about O'Donnell fortune and Dominic Hill and Joey Hunter and Cameron Smith having a bunch of eligibility left. I mean, Prunty was part of that, but you know, Marcellus dial has a lot of, uh, Eligibility left, Isaiah Norris has a couple years. I mean, there's a lot of corners on the roster that, you know, you don't know what you really even have because they haven't played a whole lot. Um, And this is kind of a good sign you're loading up on safeties because that means you're kind of confident in the guys you have on campus at corner. Uh, And people forget because, you know, people talk about Cameron Smith because he was a four-star guy, but the other guys were three-star guys and, and, you know, or JUCO guys and, Everybody just automatically throws them in the trash heap because oh maybe they didn't set the world on fire last year, which is a you know a ridiculously hard, difficult year, uh, especially for true freshman defensive back. So I, I think that's what people have to keep in mind when it comes to the corner safety sort of debate uh, about that. Mark rolls in. Can you explain the difference between the edge rushers and Clayton White's defense? And Ellis Johnson's 4-2-5. Seems like AJ's had their hand in the dirt most of the time. But that White's stand up similar to outside linebacker in old school 3-4. How big of an adjustment can that be standing up versus a three-point stance? Uh, I'll tell you this. that you, you, I know what you're looking at there, but they're going to have guys with their hand in the dirt a lot. Um, there are some elements of it where guys stand up. Uh, like I said earlier about this defense, it's going to look pretty complex. Um, but, you know, the recruiting does not change. And and this is another thing that drives me crazy is that, you know, people are like, you know, when they recruit a defensive end or, I mean, I saw this mentioned about Jay Sean Barham, who's 6'3". Oh, why don't we get back to the 6'6 guys like we had during the glory years? Well, you didn't have but two. Um 
Devin Taylor was six seven. Clowney was six six. I mean that that's the bottom line. You, you didn't have you know a bunch of guys like that, and nobody does. Those guys are really hard to find. Uh, you can be a good four three defensive end at six two two seventy. I mean, I'll I'll use a Clemson example, Shaq Lawson. You know, you could be a good defensive end uh, type guy in college. Eric Norwood size. You remember Eric Norwood, and they they drop him back and all that. So, you know, as far as recruiting goes, there's no difference. You know, they're not out there looking for, you know, oh, we need this guy to be about 6'2", 250 to come in here and play so he can stand up and do all this. You know, they're looking for movement and space and ability to rest the passer and all that. Um, yeah, you look through Ellis Johnson's tenure at Carolina. I mean, most of the defensive ends were 6'3", 6'4". You know, Chaz Sutton was a guy that was that. Uh, Cliff Matthews was 6'4". I mean, you know, you, you're not going to find 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, you know, Clowney and then Taylor was kind of a, uh, a great evaluation by Shane Beamer at the time and the defensive staff. And, uh, he just developed. I forgot about Darius English, but – you know, Darius English played really well, you know, toward the end. That took him five years, you know, because he was tall and skinny. So, you know, I think there's some kind of disconnect there about, oh, we need to go back to getting all of our defensive ends at 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, it'd be great. Show me where to go do that. <laughs> uh, and so th- this defense, and I'll say this, you know, they use a position they call the buck. You know, there is a buck in this defense, you know, outside linebacker type and a Sam and all that. But it's not it's not Will Muschamp's defense. This is Clayton White's defense. It's it's fundamentally different than anything else that you, you've seen out there. And I like that. I like that for South Carolina, you know, be the South Carolina defense. Um, and I think, you know, you look at Shane Beamer and his background and, and you know, his experience at Virginia Tech, um, Obviously, Bud Foster had his own defense, and it worked like a charm up there for the most part. And and I think at South Carolina, you need to be unique on both sides of the ball. Uh, and I think this defense with Clayton White is. Now, am I saying, you know, just because it's called a 4-2-5 and Ellis ran a 4-2-5 that they're going to return to the days of Ellis Johnson this year? No. Uh, I would not guarantee that. I think there's a chance for good improvement. I think the defensive line's good. I'm not as worried about the linebackers as I was. Secondary, you know, a lot of unproven guys back there. So, uh, you know, please keep in mind, there's a difference between, like, you know, how it sketches out on paper and what they're going to try to do versus what is actually executed. And and I think with fans a lot – I'm not saying this is you, Mark, but I think a lot of times with fans – it's just a matter of does it work or not. You know, they don't, you know, you can tell them what they're doing and all that. And, you know, it doesn't work. And I think that that's why you get the six foot seven defensive end demand is, oh, that works. So, yeah, it did. But think about it. There wasn't, you know, Melvin Ingram was about six, two, six, three and was a hell of a pass rusher. Eric Norwood was six foot, hell of a pass rusher. So it doesn't always mean, you know, that. So, uh, and, it, you know, just because I'm saying, hey, this is what the plan is, I like the, the design and the idea doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, top 10 defense this year in South Carolina. You know, could be really good. I mean, there's a lot of really talented guys on the defense. It's just got to come together. Thank you, Mark, as always. Keith says, JC, how much more experience does K-Ron Prunty have than Dial? 
Well, Karen Prunty had a year in the Big 12 last year. Dial has not played since two years ago at junior college. I think he played in six games, and then there was high school. So a lot more. <laughs> a lot more experience, you know. But Dial, Dial is also an older player. You know, he's also a guy that, you know, he's not young, like a true freshman, that kind of thing. So, uh, but that's that's the deal. You know, a season in the Big 12 at Kansas where you don't give up a touchdown. Uh, teams are completing 38% against you. Um, that's a good season. And, and that's a year's worth of experience against some really, really good passing offenses. Um, so, yeah, I'd be – Remiss if I said there's oh they're similar experience wise that nah, that's not the case now Dial may end up being better than Pruning I know it sounds crazy to say uh, but he hadn't done it yet and he hadn't been on a football field in two years and certainly not at this level so uh, I have pretty high hopes for Marcellus but I do think there's a I mean this year is going to be some growing pains I think with him but you know Clayton White again to, to quote the press conference said that you know the other day in practice Jalen Brooks got the best of Dial. Dial line right back up and went out there and competed. And you got to have that short memory and that mentality uh, when you're quarterback at corner because ultimately you're going to get beat. I mean, number one, offenses are pretty sophisticated and good these days. They got a lot of good receivers. Uh, but number two, that, that's just kind of football. You know, the, the the other team has coaches and players too. They're going to catch you in something and you're going to give up a play. Uh, what you can't let that do is you can't let him pick on you. And we've seen that happen to some players at South Carolina that don't have don't seem to have short memories. We've also, you know, you can see that throughout football. Um, Steve Spurrier was a master at that. You know, Steve Spurrier used to go right at the other team's best corner with a good play call and, you know, to kind of get him shake, shook up and rattled and stuff like that. Um, and that's just part of the game. Uh, but, yeah, to, to answer your question on the surface, probably a lot more experience at the Power 5 level for a whole year. And finally, Doc, first-time emailer, I think. Uh, I mentioned the other day, speaking of Marcellus Dow, Woodruff High School, burning down back in the day, an REO Speedwagon coming and doing a benefit concert right there in rural Spartanburg County in the small town of Woodruff. And I uh, said, if you, you were there, you remember it, let me know. Doc says, not only remember it, I was there, my man. And he says, I'm a guy who cried the day we lost the Navy, November 18th, 1984. Sincerely, Doc. Now, I didn't cry about that game. Uh, I was seven years old, and I didn't really understand football. I just remember my parents going to a lot of games that year, and mom and dad got home. I would ask them if they won or not, and – I remember that year when they went to the Clemson game, they won. So I was happy because I didn't know. Um, but two, three years later, when I started understanding the game and following the game, 86 was the first year I was really dialed in, you know, so it had been nine. Um, so 86, I was dialed in. And uh, there were quite a few times I shed some tears. Um prayed to the almighty, <laughs> was depressed, that kind of thing, uh, with the Gamecocks when I was younger. And, you know, sometimes, you know, these days with a business that, you know, covers the Gamecocks and, and doing it for a living, which I'm thankful and grateful for. It's a dream job in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the stakes are high. And, you know, just because – you know, I have to deal with the Gamecock community on the internet at large. 
after it happens. And I think sometimes with a passionate fan base, they're looking for people to blame. Sometimes they blame us. Uh, you know, that's why I'm very, that's why I, this preseason I've kind of said, Hey, hold on. You know, what, what, what we're saying here is this guy's look good at practice. He's probably going to play. That doesn't mean oh, he's going to catch eight balls for a hundred yards a game. You know, like I, I, I believe like in my heart, you know, or, or, in, you know, when I think about it, I, I think EJ Jenkins will have a pretty good year against the defenses Carolina plays, but I, I wouldn't guarantee it. I mean, he's only played at St. Francis and, you know, there's adjustments that have to be made with new players. But, uh, you know, that's why I do that to kind of, you know, kind of temper the, you know, so people don't come after me. But, hey, that's fine. It's part of it. I don't mind it. Um, probably the most down I've been after a game. There's two instances in the last three years. And one was the 2017 Kentucky game. And, Ah, uh, shoot. I, that was a bad day. I had to go to a funeral. One of my friend's friends had died, finally succumbed to a brain tumor. So I had to go to the funeral. And, you know, I went back to the condo. I was living in Greenville at the time. And my neighbor, David, was a Tennessee fan, is a Tennessee fan, still a Tennessee fan. He pulls for the game. His girlfriend's a Gamecock graduate. Her future wife is a Gamecock graduate. So he pulls for the Gamecocks. But so Tennessee's playing Florida that day. And that's before the bottom fell out on Butch and they're playing McElwain's team with Felipe Franks. And we're watching it because I got back about halftime of that game, went over to his crib like we always did on Saturdays. And we're watching it. And Tennessee scores late and looks like they're going to win in the swamp. Felipe Franks (laughs) in the play of the century that are probably the play of the last two decades that describes Tennessee football. Uh, people say all things equal out. Remember Tennessee with Josh Dobbs beat Georgia on the last second play. Franks throws a strike to the end zone to, I think, Tyree Cleveland. One of the prettiest passes ever. Franks couldn't do that consistently, and that's why he wasn't great, only good. Um, and Florida won in the last second. So there's a, there's a, there's a blow at the party, right? You know, so everybody's like, I still got the game caught, you know, and so – that game starts like gangbusters. Jake Bentley to Debo Samuel touchdown on the first play. I think Kentucky's first offensive play, Sky Moore picked it off. And Carolina, I think, missed a field goal uh, and an extra point within the first little bit. And then the energy came out of the stadium. Uh, and that was that was the first must the moment during the must champ era where I was like, man. You know, because keep in mind, South Carolina beat a good NC State team. They probably had no business beating that year in the opener. And then went out to Missouri. Missouri got off to a rough start that year, but ended up in a bowl and beat them pretty good, 31-13. You know, Kentucky's coming to town. They had a losing streak. Got to go beat these guys. It starts like gangbusters. And then reality set in. And uh, I remember that next day. After all that and that day, me and David and I, for, we just we, I don't even think we turned on the TV to watch NFL. We sat on the porch drinking beer and, talking about life. <laughs> so I was down after that. And then the Tennessee game in 2019 was kind of the last, that's when I kind of started to think, well, there's probably going to be a coaching change because, you know, Tennessee at that point in the season could barely cross the 50 on offense. South Carolina had beaten, beaten Kentucky finally, Upset Georgia and Athens. And then really that that Florida loss was tough. 
the 38-27 game in the rain. But you really felt like they sort of got robbed because Gators score on a big play, which is clearly holding. Um, and the momentum kind of came out, you know, at, at, at that point. You know, Carolina, you know, and then Florida sort of got rolling there at the end. Uh, I think yet again uh, in the fourth quarter for the second straight year in 2019 against the Gators, Florida's offensive and defensive coordinators owned the Gamecocks' offensive and defensive coordinators. Um, but you, you could sort of live with that because Florida was a top-10 team. Uh, you go up to Tennessee, and, you know, at that point, you're like, well, Tennessee, Vandy, App State, they're still on the schedule. Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Clemson in the end are going to be tough. But, you know, you can win, beat the Vols, come back. You know, because they had already had two ridiculous losses to North Carolina and Missouri. Uh, so you're, you're thinking, well, they've probably turned it around. They're good enough. You know, and again, South Carolina, and, and I, I don't know what it is about scoring on the first play. Carolina scores on the first play. Hey, let's get you Shy Smith. Uh, really some good offensive play in the first half. They're 21 17. Uh, and then you have special teams breakdowns. And for some reason, the Gamecocks couldn't stop the Vols receivers and they lose by 20. Tennessee put 41 points on the board. Now it was 27. If you, you know, Count the offense, and that, but I mean that Tennessee team could barely cross the fifty-yard line against SEC competition, and of course that spurred them to the best best streak of the Pruitt era. Um, and they they had lost to Georgia State, and lost to BYU, and they end up winning eight straight games and all that. And that was sort of the beginning of the end. And I was I was a little bit upset about that one, um, not as much as that Kentucky game though, because that's just. You know, but I, other than that, I don't cry anymore. I just kind of really look at it in, in, in kind of a Zen, like a Zen philosophy for the Gamecocks. But Doc, thanks, and thanks for going to that uh, concert. I, I, I was, I was thinking I was the only one that remembered that Aria Speedwagon concert. Maybe I, I thought, well, shoot, did I make that up? Or, you know, but uh, I do remember that. So thanks for your email. Again, you want to get in the I Help Consulting mailbag inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. All right, Saturday special is we're going to put a bow on this. Um, probably we'll be back with a scrimmage episode if I can get some things on it. Uh, keep those email inbox questions coming in. Um, be sure to go to uh, Apple Podcast, rate us five stars. We appreciate that. Uh, you know, that kind of keeps the podcast going. Uh, at the very latest, I'll be back Monday and we'll have a JC and Morgan on Monday as well. Um, you know, as we continue to work toward the opener of the 2021 football season here in two weeks, this is J.C. Sherbert inside the Gamecocks podcast. Thanking you for joining me. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, Gamecocks.